Good afternoon. It's Friday the 8th of April 2022, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News, your host today, Mike Robinson, myself, Brian Gerrish. And we're delighted to have Vanessa Beely with us uh, speaking from Damascus, Syria. Well, Liz Truss has been at it again. She's produced another statement on the uh, Russia-Ukraine situation. Um, so let's have a quick listen to this. I'm in Brussels talking to G7 and NATO allies about how we increase support for Ukraine in the face of Russian aggression. We're delivering more sanctions, more weapons, and an end to the imports of Russian energy. The age of engagement with Russia is over. It's time for decisive action, time for a new approach to security in Europe based on resilience, defence and deterrence. Not only to uphold Ukraine's sovereignty and freedoms, but also to protect sovereignty and freedom across Europe and across the world for decades to come. So it said like at the bottom of that. I read it as lie. <laughs> yeah, well, that must be a Freudian slip. Indeed. Look, Vanessa, let's just bring you straight onto the programme here. The age of engagement with Russia is over. That seems to me to imply that the British government has decided that a new Iron Curtain exists. Oh, did it ever not exist? I, I mean, you know, this this is really now all they're saying uh, openly is what uh, has always been the case, that Russia has always been um, marginalised, derided, mocked uh, and, and belittled by these entitled establishment overlords who consider that they are superior to everyone else not only from a national perspective, but from a personal perspective. Right, but the pretense is gone. Yeah, the pretense is, has definitely gone. I mean, I, I think it had gone anyway with, with Biden's comment, by, President Biden's uh, comments since his inauguration, you know, when he stated that President Putin uh, was a war criminal, that he's soulless, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, I mean, trust... Um, Truss has now openly, well, she's openly declared war effectively. Yes. Well, speaking of Biden, here's uh, Jen uh, Psaki. Uh, of course, that's uh, Joe Biden's, well, I've labeled her his mouthpiece because some of the things she says are uh, appalling. But anyway, let's see what she uh, had to say uh, about Russia. Uh, President Biden has had instructed the US ambassador to the United Nations, Linda Thomas-Greenfield, uh, to get Russia off the UN Human Rights Council as soon as possible. Uh, so this was the effort. Um, and, uh, well, the Russians uh, responded with uh, Vasily Nabedzia saying uh, that it is unprecedented and this will not facilitate or encourage or be helpful to what's happening between Russia and Ukrainian peace talks. Uh, now, uh, Sergei Lavrov had quite a bit to say uh, as well. The question then is, what purpose does this... So, I mean, he was talking mainly about the, the, the media headlines over uh, Butcher and so on, but he was saying, the question is, what purpose does this blatantly false provocation serve? We're inclined to view it as a pretext to, to, to torpedo the ongoing negotiations at a time when some light, however dim, has appeared at the end of the tunnel. Uh, at the talks in Istanbul on the 29th of March, Ukrainian representatives set forth in writing their vision for a treaty on Ukraine's status and security guarantees for the first time during contacts between our delegations. For the first time ever, the Ukrainian side has put on paper that it is prepared to declare Ukraine a neutral, non-aligned and non-nuclear state. 
and to refuse to deploy weapons from foreign states on its territory or to conduct exercises on its territory with the participation of foreign military personnel uh, unless they're approved by all guarantors of the future treaty, uh, including the Russian Federation. So the security guarantees envisaged by the treaty are a step forward, everyone realizing that uh, negotiations need to completely rule out NATO's eastward expansion, uh, primarily to Ukraine, uh, and to ensure indivisible security in Europe. The Ukrainian side itself included in this draft of the main clauses of the treaty, a provision saying that the security guarantees that will be provided to Ukraine in the event of an agreement will not apply to Crimea and Donbass. Uh, we should like once again to urge those who are behind the Kiev actions, uh, we know who they are, uh, to take seriously their responsibility for security in Europe and for the future of the world. Uh, and for ensuring that all principles of the UN Charter are honoured in practice. Russia is ready for this conversation. So Liz Truss saying uh, that Britain is certainly not ready for the conversation, uh, for any kind of conversation with Russia. Russia saying they are ready, uh, but absolutely suggesting that uh, the, uh, the media headlines over, over alleged human rights violations in uh, Ukraine plus the, <clears throat> the attempted removal from the Human Rights Council of Russia, plus, uh, and so on, uh, are there to, to derail the negotiations. So um, have you got any thoughts on that? Um, well, I think, I mean, this reminds me totally of uh, the, the French, American, and British reaction to the disclosures of the OPCW uh, chemical weapon inspectors who exposed the OPCW as... Um, corrupted and influenced, politically influenced by countries that had been waging the regime change war against Syria. Now, of course, what we're seeing is a very similar language from Liz Truss, as, as was used at that time. The Russian evidence was dismissed, as it was, of course, during the, the Skripal um, incident. Russia wanted to be involved in the investigation into what happened, and of course, they were blanked out. And so we're seeing a very similar response now from uh, particularly uh, the EU contingent and, um, and Canada and um, the UK, particularly from Liz Truss. Yes. Can, can I just add in there that the thing that catches me mm. in Lavrov's remarks is that he's saying Ukraine's put on paper that they want to be non-aligned. And yet, if we look at what... Ukraine is doing in its uh, world politics at the moment, of course, they're doing everything po that is possible to be fully aligned with the European Union and uh, NATO. So um, do we trust what they put on paper? Well, I, I think I think uh, I think if it's on paper as a treaty, then it has to be trusted to a certain degree. But anyway, look, we will see. We'll see. Let's let's move on to this. Uh, now, what we have here is uh, a graphic from the International Criminal Court. The Office of the Prosecutor of the International Criminal Court is investigating alleged international crimes committed uh, in the situation in Ukraine. Um, and uh, well, Vanessa, my first question is, who's the uh, the bold guy on the right hand side there? <laughs> Um, this is Karim Khan, um, the ICC um, prosecutor general who was elected in, from memory, July 2021. Um, very interesting timing, totally backed by, at the time, Dominic Grubb, so backed by the UK Foreign Office. And we'll go into a little bit more detail as, as to why he might have been backed by the UK Foreign Office at this particular time. Okay, so we have a little bit of video, so let's play that out and then you, you can comment some more. 
uh, hopefully the law can be seen to play a part and at the very least we will do our job and I think many at this moment are hoping for a resurgence in the relevance of international law and I think this is the moment that if we stand up together if we are properly supported and we work with partnerships without um, putting politics second and putting these basic imperatives first we can do better and maybe uh, mitigate some of these uh, uh, instances we are we are seeing we will follow the evidence and we then have every confidence that the independent and impartial judges of the international criminal court will make proper uh, decisions they will scrutinize whether we've got it right uh, and hopefully the law will emerge stronger than it may seem possible right now in these big hours so thank you so much so the question is, will he follow the evidence and are the judges impartial and independent? Well, I mean, there's, there's an interesting statement that Karim Khan um, made uh, in relation to the fact that Fatou Bansouda, his uh, predecessor, had, um, I mean, sorry, just looking at the slide, he's, he's a, a British um, barrister. Um, he was involved in the war trials in Rwanda and former Yugoslavia and during that time his path crossed um, with many of the legal entities that are now um, being backed by the UK Foreign Office in particular and by the U US um, intelligence agencies to bring a case against President Assad in Syria. He comes from the Temple Chambers stable, which many of uh, the, the, the barristers and solicitors that are working on the Syrian case came from. Um, he was directly involved with uh, characters like Stephen Rapp, Bill Wiley, um, who now form um, the, the, the basis of the Commission for uh, International Justice and Accountability, which was set up by uh, an intel British intelligence outreach agency, um, ARC Group, headed up by Alistair Harris, who was involved in the intelligence agency operations in, um, well, in Syria, in Lebanon, in Yemen, globally, pretty much, and in the Balkans, of course. Um, and so these connections can't be ignored. And the timing of his appointment or his election, um, which was uh, celebrated, as I said, by the UK Foreign Office, statements by Dominic Grubb uh, celebrating him on his appointment, um, came at a time that, in my opinion, the West was certainly preparing itself for the provocation against Russia over Ukraine. Okay, so uh, we've got a, a couple of... Uh... Uh, articles here. So this is a conversation. The ICC is investigating war crimes. Could Putin be indicted? Mm. I mean, that you know, this is, I mean, what is extraordinary here is this rush to judgment, the same rush to judgment that we saw in Syria over the alleged chemical weapon attacks. There was no investigation. Yet already we see Russia being suspended from the UN Human Rights Council. And, you know, we can only draw the conclusion that they are being suspended to avoid them being able to counter the so-called evidence that will be produced to criminalize them in the Ukraine for crimes that are equally or, or probably have a higher possibility that they were carried out by the Azov brigades, by the Nazi brigades. So here we have potential that the ICC is yet again being weaponized as an extension of the globalist power in the West to, to bring 
um, a threatening superpower in Russia to heal. I mean, it's quite extraordinary. Yes, and if we just put this conversation article back on screen, and again, the first paragraph there says, ICC mm. investigations can take years, but the prosecutors have had several advantages in this case that could lead to a faster process. First, the ICC has been looking into alleged war crimes in Ukraine since 2014, when then-prosecutor uh, Ben Suda launched a preliminary investigation. In 2015, she extended the scope to include any alleged crimes committed from tw February the 20th, 2014 onwards. So. Since 2014, they've been looking at uh, Ukraine uh, and what's been going on, particularly with respect to the Donbass, I suppose. But uh, they haven't, yes. have they brought any prosecutions yet? And then the question is, no. how fast are they going yeah. to bring prosecutions against, Pu against Putin and Russia? If, uh, and how, do we, how are we supposed to read the difference, the disparity in, in the timescales in each of these? Exactly. And actually, if you read what comes next, um, they, they state, so basically, what he does is, he, he's quite clever, he, he, he telescopes it out into war crimes since Russia carried out its special operation in Ukraine. So he says he's opening the investigation proposed by his predecessor and broadening it to include the recent invasion into Ukraine. So what does that really mean? That means we will forget about um, the, the 14,000 killed through the ethnic cleansing programs carried out by the Nazi and ultra-nationalist brigades in Ukraine. And now we will broaden it out, meaning now we will just focus on uh, Russia's alleged war crimes and sweep the, the, the war crimes carried out, the, the genocidal war crimes carried out um, by the Ukrainian nationalists, ultra-nationalists, prior to, um, or rather, what led to Russia's special operation in Ukraine. It, yeah. I mean, this, the language is very um, is very damning, in my view. I, I would just say here, Vanessa, that uh, what I see is that this is the carefully crafted preparation for what they would hope to be a show trial. So this is not about yeah. gathering factual evidence and establishing the truth. This is about producing uh, what they need in a show, uh, show trial type setting. And uh, you, you use the phrase, a rush to judgment, which I totally agree with. Uh, rush to judgment is prejudgment. So uh, it's very interesting that you say that, Brian, because if we put this one on screen, mm. this is the next paragraph in the same article. Second, new technologies <laughs> make it easier to gather evidence, such as images and recordings of event, along with testimonies of victims and witnesses. The ICC will receive an extent, the extensive evidence gathered by organizations such as Bellingcat, investigative journalism <laughs> agency. Evidence from Ukrainian citizens' mobile phones will also be available. And they say Bellingcat has also set up a partnership with Mnemonic, an NGO dedicated to archiving evidence collected from social media and mobile phones, which aims to ensure, sorry, secure material uh, up to the standard of evidence. The day may come when all this ends up in the International Criminal Court, said uh, Higgins, Elliot Higgins, uh, the founder of Bellingcat. So, but uh, Vanessa, Bellingcat has a, we have a reputation there that has been built up over years <laughs> in Syria, right? Yeah, and I, I mean, exactly. This is the this is the crossover that I mentioned in connection to Karim Khan's election to prosecutor general. Um, but also, if we look at the partnership with Mnemonic, Mnemonic uh, was really effectively a Syrian-originated uh, organization established to determine, of course, the war crimes of the Syrian government and its 
allies during the war against the um, uh, NATO member state-backed uh, terrorist invasion of the country. Um, mnemonics, if we look at their partners, and I had a quick look before I came on, we have Human Rights Watch, we have Amnesty International, um, we have Open Society, um, George Soros. But interestingly, we also have Birmingham City uh, University, which of course is home to Professor Scott Lucas, who I wrote about for UK Column as um, a consultant at the Turan uh, uh, think tank based in Istanbul and comprising of a number of uh, Syrian armed group members, including um, Majid Nima, who was uh, with a, a leader of Jaish al-Islam, one of the most brutal uh, armed groups inside Syria. So, you know, the connections here are undeniable and, and the there we go. Well, lost. there we go. We've lost Vanessa. Hopefully she will uh, uh, be able to uh, rejoin in a second. I think we should just explain to the audience there are still very big problems with power supplies and stability in Syria. And often um, the power is only on for an hour and a half or two hours a day. Yes. Uh, Stephanie, maybe you could uh, have a go at uh, reconnecting that call. Um, now, uh, let's just uh, let's just move on with this then. Um, and uh, well, Zelensky. Uh, was in Greece? Uh, he was, and uh, things didn't turn out quite as he planned, as we will see. But first of all, I'd like to thank Azra for uh, coll uh, collating some really good material on this. Let's just have a look at uh, uh, some of the segments from her particular web page. Uh, so here's the headline. Zelensky's speech to the Greek parliament includes members of the Nazi Azov battalion. Uh, this didn't go down too well. This is a comment actually from the Duran, but let's bring this up. Zelensky's presentation, his theatre show, because that's what it really is. Theatrics, he brought in two guys to speak that were fighting against the Russians. The problem with these guys is that they were part of the Azov and various party members, MPs and other parties, uh, not from the new democracy. They walked out. There was outrage. So this is this is um, a, a dialogue trying to describe what was happening there in the Greek Parliament. They're making statements to the press saying, "How dare you bring Nazis into the Greek Parliament to speak?" Uh, they are blasting the Mitsotakis government. So this didn't go down too well at all. Let's uh, bring in a little bit of the video clip showing Zelensky speaking in the Greek Parliament. Your Excellency, Madam Speaker, Your Excellency, Madam President, Your Excellency, Prime Minister, Honourable Members of the Hellenic Parliament, People of Greece, Kalimera, for more than a month now, every morning, I start with Mariupol, with uh, information on what is happening in this Ukrainian city, which the Russian troops are destroying. This has not been in the case of European history during all the years after World War II. We have never seen a city being reduced to ashes, completely flattened. The city being completely under the siege, its residents are killed by hunger and thirst. It used to be a city of half a million of population. There are still about 100,000 people still left in the city, but there is virtually no building left undamaged. The absolute majority of buildings have been utterly destroyed. 
The Russian military were destroying everything. There were bombing hospitals, maternity hospital, residential buildings have been gutted. They even bombed the city theater in which civilians were hiding from the bombs. And the word children was painted on the ground next to the building. Everyone could see that. This is, those are the words that the Russian pilots could see very well. And still, they did not stop from delivering the air strike. So, of course, that's just a little segment. We'd encourage our viewers and listeners to make sure they go and research the full talk that he gave so that you know uh, the full detail. But that segment is enough to pull out that he said some remarkable things. Apparently, if uh, Mariupol is the only city that's ever been under siege. We've forgotten what happened in Germany. Cities destroyed, Leningrad, Stalingrad. It's only focused on Ukraine. So this is very theatrical uh, delivery. Uh, but note that he then moved on to talk about the fact that uh, even when children was painted on the ground, apparently the Russian attack still went in. So the inference is that the, the, uh, the Russians are targeting children and schools alongside the hospitals. So that was uh, the address from the president there. Let's just um, contrast that with uh, one of a number of excellent reports by the journalist Patrick Lancaster. And he's uh, uh, in this particular clip traveling in an ambulance in Ukraine, having a discussion with people in the back of the ambulance. They're carrying a badly wounded young man. And at the very end of the clip, you can hear the distress in the mother's voice. Um, but have a listen to this clip. We'll, we'll, um, we'll say uh, what is actually being said at the end for people who are just on audio today. But have a look at this clip and uh, see what's being reported from the ground in contrast to what Zelensky is saying to the Greek parliament. Continuing to bring you reports from across Ukraine. And the latest one that we are getting is from the besieged city of Mariupol, uh, where we have seen destruction of civilian areas at a large scale. Patrick Lancaster brings you this report. I'm Patrick Lancaster, and right now we are riding into Mariupol in an ambulance with Donetsk People's Republic forces, and we are expecting to pick up injured civilians, and we'll have to see how this plays out, but you're here with me.
ему сейчас окажут помощь. Сейчас, еще чуть-чуть, подождите. So a little bit difficult to pick up some of that, but if we summarize it, the key thing is that uh, in particular, a lady in the back of the ambulance is being asked who, who is doing the killing. And, and the prompt is even given, it's the Russians. And they come back extremely strongly to say, no, this is the Ukrainians. They are attacking us. Why are our own people attacking us? They hate us. They want us out. They want us killed. So it, it's, it's a very emotional clip. And we'll back it up by playing this second clip uh, where, the, where the, uh, you won't be able to understand what's being said. So we'll just show a little bit of it uh, to show the passion. We have checked uh, what the lady in the next clip is talking about, and we'll explain it after we've just heard a little bit piece of this one. I'm Patrick Lancaster, and right now we are in Mariupol, less than a kilometer away from one of the last strongholds of the Azov Battalion, which is a Ukrainian nationalist uh, battalion, and uh, the remaining Ukrainian forces that are in this city. <laughs> Люди все имели как бы работу, все ничего нету, все разбомбили, становились под дома и бомбили, а те в ответку, ну короче, видите, что творится. Это Okay, we just stopped that clip there, but the, the dialogue that goes on with that particular lady and some other men in the street is essentially about who is conducting the killing. Again, there's a prompt, is it the Russians? And they come back vehemently that the killing is being done by Ukrainians, and they're pointing out that tanks had arrived and fired into civilian buildings. They were targeting civilians, not Russian military. And uh, they also say at one particular point uh, that the Ukrainian uh, forces were specifically using the school grounds uh, uh, as a grouping area and presumably an area to provide cover. So we see the stark contrast by, uh, between what Zelensky said to the Greek parliament and what the reports are coming out from on the ground in Ukraine. But of course, it takes independent journalists like Patrick Lancaster to get some of the facts out. We see no sign of any coherent reports from the BBC or the Western media. Uh, and another independent journalist who has uh, been getting the facts out, of course, is Vanessa Bailey. Vanessa, I don't know whether we've got video of you, but I think we've got audio because this issue of, uh, of uh, schools being used is one that uh, was absolutely the case in Syria as well. I think we haven't. She's gone. Are you there? I'm here, but the sound keeps uh, cutting in and out. I'm sorry, I don't understand why I've got full um, internet and electricity, so it's strange, just cut in the middle of what I was saying. Okay, well, what I was just saying there was that Patrick Lancaster was, mm. was making the point that the, or he was speaking to the uh, the uh, people on the ground uh, in Mariupol, uh, and they were saying that, once again, schools being used by the Azov brigades and others to uh, effectively uh, to create uh, shields for themselves. And, and I was just ask, saying mm. that, you know, uh, you had uh, witnessed this in Syria as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, the when you had the narratives that, uh, well, Russia and Syria were bombing hospitals when we actually entered 
those uh, areas after liberation, we found, of course, exactly as in the Ukraine or, or is being described in the Ukraine, um, the armed groups, the terrorists in Syria, the, the Nazis in Ukraine are occupying um, hospitals and schools because, of course, these buildings are, are perfect as military centers. They have um, a lot of space. They have basements. They have so they have good protection from um, air force bombardment uh, and, um, you know, hospitals, schools. Um, all of these civilian infrastructure buildings were being occupied, as for example, in Ukraine, the top buildings of apartment blocks are being occupied also by uh, anti-tank anti um, artillery and snipers. Yes. Okay. Well, we'll follow through the uh, Greek parliament report because Zelensky brought in two members of Azov in order to uh, speak to the parliament. Uh, let's just bring this image up on screen. This is the gentleman concerned. It says a member of the Mariupol-based neo-Nazi Azov battalion. Uh, he claimed to be Greek and identified himself as Mikhail, caused controversy as he spoke in the Greek parliament. Let's have a look at the little clip of him speaking. Distinguished members of parliament of the Greek Republic. I'm speaking to you, I'm an ethnic Greek. My name is Mikhail. My grandfather, Victor, uh, uh, was at war with uh, the Nazis in the Second World War. He was three times wounded. And now I am at war with the Russian Nazis. I am one of those people who is defending our native city of Mariupol, where I was born out, where I was raised um, as a member of the Azov Regiment. Do I need to, to tell you about the details of this struggle against the enemy. I don't think that's worth it. This is my duty as a man, as a, as a citizen. But uh, there's one thing that I have to say. It's a, a, the catastrophic, inhumane conditions in which uh, the civilians of my city now find themselves. As you know, Mariupol is a part of Greece in Ukraine in the sense of its cultural origins and ethnic origins. You have always uh, helped the city. And it is thanks to you uh, that it flourished. And today, the city has been 90% ruined by the Russian occupiers. As of the 1st of March, we have been cut off from the, uh, from the outside world. There is no water, no food, no medication in the city. What we have in the city is a humanitarian catastrophe. The enemy is bombing peaceful neighborhoods. They are constantly shelling us. They're, they're um, conducting strikes, airstrikes from the sea. People are dying in their thousands. There, there's no one to bury them. And these are the bodies of, of Greek, ethnic Greeks as well. Do you understand? So this is what we're now presented with. Um, you can be openly neo-Nazi. You're completely acceptable, apparently, to the Western media as long as you're based in Ukraine. Uh, if any organisation in UK was to show these sorts of allegiances, we would be stamped on uh, immediately. But Apparently, it's okay on the world stage, but I'm going to say well done to those um, Greek politicians that decided, no, it wasn't okay to bring this sort of individual into the Greek parliament. And uh, sorry, I'd just like to thank uh, Azra. If you want to go and read the full report that she produced on those segments, uh, here's the address. You can freeze that on screen, um, but it's all part of the uh, page. All that has been hidden will be revealed. Um, right. And uh, Vanessa, if you can hear me, uh, we uh, we have a bit of video here 
of uh, Nat uh, Natalia uh, Nikonorova, uh, who is uh, the foreign minister for uh, Donetsk, uh, I believe. Uh, and she was also speaking to the Greek parliament. So let's just have a listen to a little bit of what she had to say, uh, and then we'll uh, ask you for a little bit of comment. Уважаемые жители Греции, за последний месяц президент Украины Владимир Зеленский практически каждый день выступает перед парламентами зарубежных государств. Греция не стала исключением. Все эти онлайн-перформансы выстроены по одним лекалам и преследуют одну цель – скрыть те военные преступления, которые украинский режим совершал все 8 лет против жителей Донбасса и продолжает совершать по сей день. Президент Зеленский со своими пособниками старательно манипулирует общественным сознанием, так как понимают, что времена, когда придется отвечать за содеянное, все ближе. Наступление этого момента неотвратимо. Поэтому они не нужны. So that's uh, just to give a little uh, excerpt of that. But uh, Vanessa, I was just wondering what uh, what thoughts you had and what she had to say. I mean, we can we can run through what she said in a second, but uh, uh, just give me what you, what your thoughts were. I don't think no. she could hear that. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll look. We'll, we'll. I'll. I'll read out uh, some of what she was saying there. So uh, uh, basically, she was su suggesting that uh, uh, the, the world has seen fakes of unimaginable absurdity, blatant lies, staggering scale. Uh, amongst the, the latest examples of that, uh, the alleged mass execution by Russian troops in Bukha. Uh, there's not a single piece of evidence supporting it. She said. Uh, there are only dubious videos, which raise many questions. Uh, she said that fakes uh, in Mariupol have no, are, are extremely cynical. A whole stage show was created uh, with the involvement of actors, uh, with no mention of what was really going on there. And she said that uh, representatives of Greek nationality in Mariupol also suffered from uh, the atrocities of the national battalions. Uh, she said that the West pretends there's no Nazism in Ukraine. However, there's a huge amount of irrefutable evidence um, the presentation of orders to the fighters of uh, Pravi uh, sector, uh, diaries, comics, uh, various flags, Nazi symbols, SS emblems. Uh, and she said that Nazism is sp spreading in Ukraine is very dangerous, not only for the country itself, but for the whole of Europe, and that it needs to be ended. Uh, and so she was calling on the world to hear uh, the Donbass. Um, and so I don't think there's you know, you know, there's there's a lot to be uh, said about that. Uh, I think that the mainstream press in the West isn't listening to the voices from that part of the world. Um, so, well, it doesn't fit the narrative, and therefore she's just going to be side sidelined. There is only one narrative per permitted, and that's the combined EU NATO narrative. Yes. Okay. Well, uh, look, if you like what the UK column does, and you would like to support us, then please head over to UK column. Uh, sorry, community.ukcolumn.org. Uh, and there are options for for you to help us out there. You could also uh, pick something up at the UK Column shop. Uh, and uh, if you do like uh, our material, please feel free to share it on the various platforms. Okay, and a big thank you to people who are emailing us all the time with information. Uh, this was just a fascinating little email. It was about fuel supply issues in Coventry. Brian, over the last few days, there appears to be a petrol diesel supply issue in Coventry especially the diesel, it's not clear why. And my searches on the internet have not brought up any, anything recent. 
I've taken some photos today to show the situation. If you want them, let me know. Well, uh, uh, Clive, the gentleman kindly did provide those photos, which we'll just show. So we've got a Morrison's here with uh, no fuel. That's apparently near the A46. Uh, Walsgrave Road uh, station has got no diesel. Uh, Texaco near junction, near a particular junction on the M6 has also uh, got no diesel. You can see the label on the handle of the pump. Uh, Asda near junction two of the M6. So no doubt this is all going to be purely blamed on uh, Putin, Mike. This is the government's excuse for anything that now goes wrong in the country. It's to do with the Russians. Uh, but if anybody's got any more information about what's causing these particular problems with fuel supplies, we'd be interested to know. And uh, well, I was just going to mention this is this has happened in Plymouth as well in recent days as well. So, so yes, it has. It's yes. not just uh, localized to one part of the country. No, that's absolutely true. So we've seen the uh, prices at the pump skyrocket, and now we're seeing these sort of intermittent supply problems. Uh, but contrast that with this, which I think is one of the most extraordinary headlines I've ever seen um, uh, from my military background. Daring thieves steal more than £250,000 of diesel meant to power Royal Navy's warship in one of Britain's biggest fuel heists. So basically, um, they managed to take out half a million pounds worth of fuel. Quarter of a million pounds. I'm sorry, sorry, quarter of a million pounds worth of fuel from uh, the biggest naval base in Europe, which is supposed to have top security due, due to the nuclear component uh, at that base, the nuclear submarines that use the base. Uh, but the thieves simply uh, ran off with the fuel. And no doubt they're celebrating their, their uh, success as the fuel prices continue to Climb. The Ministry of Defence declined to comment. That's the usual way that the Ministry of Defence simply sidelines. Um, what is this crass incompetence? Is is ultimately what it is, Mike? Uh, do you think? It, I mean, could it have been an inside job? Is that? I really think the almost only way? Cer certainly it was an inside job. But of course, one of the problems now is there's so many contractors operating in the military bases in UK. You don't know who you're dealing with at any particular moment. Um, okay, let's move on to sanctions then. And uh, well, the Foreign Office has announced that uh, families of Vladimir Putin and Sergei Lavrov uh, are now subject to asset freezes and travel bans. So uh, new UK sanctions target the daughters of Vladimir Putin and uh, Sergei Lavrov. Uh, the government analysis shows that more than £275 billion, uh, they say, of Putin's war chest has been frozen by coordinated UK and international sanctions in recent weeks. Uh, and they also said that uh, Russia is heading for the deepest recession uh, since the collapse of the Soviet Union as sanctions hit Putin's ability to wage war in Ukraine. Um, and uh, so they are targeting uh, specific individuals in this case. Uh, let's see what else is going on, because here is uh, the European Bank for uh, Reconstruction and Development. Uh, and this is what they have to say. Uh, on the subject, the EBRD Board of Governors have approved taking firm action against the Russian Federation and Belarus following the invasion of Ukraine. Access by the Russian Federation and Belarus to the resources of the bank is to be formally suspended with immediate effect. This means there can be no financing, no new financing of projects or technical cooperation uh, uh, activities in either country. Uh, and then we've got... Uh, but the question is, what's the effect of it? Because here is uh, Reuters reporting that Italy is slashing its growth outlook um, and uh, is confirming uh, that Italy is also confirming a deficit goal. But of course, they're not going to meet this goal. 
But one of the people that they quote in this article is this gentleman, uh, Carlo Bonomi. Uh, he's from uh, Confindustria, uh, which is an industry for, uh, sort of uh, group. Um, and uh, well, he was making this point, 16% of Italian manufacturers have reduced or ceased production. Uh, if we go on like this, an additional 30% are going to be hit in the next, in the coming months. Uh, producing has become anti-economic. So this is the effect of not only the sanctions, of course, the sanctions are exacerbating the situation, but it is economic collapse that we're witnessing in many countries around the world. Can, can I just add in there, Mike, that uh, for people who don't know, the European Bank of Reconstruction and Development, of course, pumping money into Eastern Europe in order to supposedly bring the former um, Soviet states up to the standard of the Western Bloc. Uh, and on the back of that, um, many huge companies making vast amounts of money from destruction. So you can be sure that EBRD is looking to make huge banking profits if it can start the so-called reconstruction in Ukraine. The more you destroy, the more work on the ground there's going to be done, the more profits there's going to be made through the EBRD uh, for the big global corporations that will, will do the rebuilding. Uh, and in the meantime, in Greece, uh, because Zelensky was there, uh, it's perhaps timely, but uh, Greece, uh, Greek workers striking over soaring uh, prices is the headline here. Uh, and uh, well, they called a general strike uh, because uh, of uh, inflation. And really, what can we say about that? That inflation began before the Ukraine action. But of course, uh, the, the Ukraine war is being blamed on, on it, uh, is getting the blame for that as well. So uh, the major labor unions uh, declared a 24 hour nationwide strike uh, day before yesterday against uh, rising prices. Um, they're talking about a deepening crisis. Uh, they're saying that uh, they're holding a demonstration, or they did hold a demonstration in central Athens, disrupting transport, ferries, schools, uh, public hospitals, uh, and uh, 2.5. So, so they're you know, the unions involved representing 2.5 million public and private sector workers. So they said for the last 14 years, workers have been carrying the burden of a deep crisis that has been has affected everyone's incomes and lives. As the years go by, the crisis is constantly deepening. Uh, the uh, burdens remain, our rights are shrinking. Uh, but of course, when uh, uh, E. Catherine Marini here was reporting that, uh, they were, as I say, claiming that it was the result of the Ukrainian war. Uh, now, China was making a statement in the Security Council. Uh, let's just have a look at what was being said here by Zhang Zhang. Uh, this is China's rep uh, permanent representative of the United Nations. Uh, and he said, uh, as pointed out by Secretary General Guterres, the spillover effects of the Ukraine crisis is having a major impact in the world, developing countries in particular. Uh, today, with the deep development of globalization and the closely linked community of mankind, the implementation of all dimensional and indiscriminate sanctions uh, is tantamount to politicizing, instrumentalizing and weaponizing the world economy, triggering a, triggering a serious crisis in the fields of global economy. Uh, the vast number of developing countries are not parties to the conflict and should not be involved in this confrontation, let alone be forced to bear the consequences of geopolitical conflict and great power competition. And uh, I don't know that we could really criticize that comment in any way. These countries are not involved in this. They're not responsible for it in any way, but they are suffering the most. But uh, I have to say, Europe, European countries, Greece, uh, many other European countries, 
suffering as a re direct result of these sanctions as well. Well, and of course, the power issue with uh, Russian gas hasn't yet started to really bite. Um, so let's just uh, have a look at a little bit of video here. This is Claire Daly speaking in the uh, European Parliament. Uh, and she had some things to say on sanctions and, uh, and also the uh, arming of uh, the Ukrainian government. Honorable Daly, a faculty to replicate. Thanks, colleague. I would love colleague Jambaski to tell me any circumstance in which the NATO has played a productive role or delivered peace anywhere. History has taught us that sanctions do not end military conflicts, they do not bring peace. They make the people suffer, not the oligarchs, the people, the people of Russia, the people of Europe. And they're not going to help save lives because the more arms you pump into Ukraine, the more the war will be prolonged, the more Ukrainians can, will die. And it might sound radical, colleagues, but the answer to war is not more war, it's peace. And peace isn't delivered by the barrel of a gun, it's delivered by diplomacy, by dialogue. You can wish away your continent's history, but we share a continent with Russia. We will sit down with Russia. There will be a negotiated peace, and this organization should be promoting it earlier rather than delaying it and making sure that more Ukrainians die. Your feigning of sympathy rings hollow. It makes me sick, to be honest with you. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm afraid we So, I mean, that was, that was uh, once again, a pretty clear statement from the Irish contingent in the uh, European Parliament. Well, it was, Mike, it was passion applied in the right place in the right way. But um, how remarkable that we had that grinning male official there that when she was talking about the fact that pumping in arms is not going to give you peace, he started grinning from ear to ear. Um, and then he got up and worked out, walked out. We, we would like to ask our audience today, if you have a look at that clip and freeze that, turbine, can you tell us who that official is? We'd like to know who the man is who was so offended by the idea of creating peace instead of further conflict in Ukraine. He was laughing and then walked out well, because... It Truly he, disgraceful. Yeah, he is, an, he is another member of the European Parliament. We did have a go at uh, looking for, based on the seat number to find out who he was earlier on, but it seems that the uh, European Parliament's uh, little graphic that's interactive that lets you choose the seat numbers, it's, it's a bit inaccurate. Yeah, so anyway, let's well, move on to humanitarian stuff. Well, let's just say that alongside the arms in, uh, for Ukraine, there is something else extremely nasty starting to happen. And a big thank you to Kate, who uh, e emailed in a few facts for us. Let's bring this up on the screen. Uh, you notice on the left-hand side of the screen, this is uh, a stamp uh, on an envelope received in UK. It says Ukraine Humanitarian Appeal. Donate now at dec.org.uk. Uh, so the email said this. Hi, Brian. Raw mail attached as well as everywhere else. I could see ads for human humanitarian aid. I've looked into the givendec.org.uk website, and this is what I found. It brings together 15 leading aid charities. Uh, goes on to talk about uh, times of crisis, people in life and death situations need our help. And our mission apparently is, is to save, protect, and rebuild lives through effective humanitarian response. And uh, what's been created 
uh, by the UK, a rapid response network of national media and corporate partners. We raised the alarm to the UK public and set up easy ways to donate. And uh, the lady kindly provided some links through to dec.org.uk and the trustees and the secretariat. Uh, but what uh, did she pick up very quickly? That refugees and migration seemed to be key to what was happening and the targeting of specifically Christian givers. Uh, but of course, one of the organisation was a very old favourite, um, International Rescue, and this brought in David Miliband. Uh, now, if people don't uh, remember this uh, organisation, here we are, International Res Rescue Committee, um, starring David Miliband. Um, and it says here that uh, International Rescue uh, Committee works in more than 40 countries and over 20 US cities to help people afflicted by humanitarian crisis to survive, recover and rebuild their lives. And presumably he's just the man to do it, but he needs some help. And if we have a look at the supporters, we quickly find that one of the powerhouses is our old friend George Soros and Open Society Foundations. And uh, the moment I saw this email, it took my mind uh, back a couple of years. So here we are in 2018 with Breitbart reporting Soros-backed pro-mass migration NGO has funds frozen amid sex abuse fraud claims. So this all looks pretty nice that uh, we're going to get teams of people in to help the Ukrainians under policy of a man who wants to use mass migration to help break down nation states. Uh, so let's have a look at a little bit of the content of this article. The European Union nations must play their part. The NGO boss said last year in a speech demanding the US and other Western nations reduce vetting when taking in refugees from the Middle East, the majority of whom the United Nations ensures are from the Sunni Muslim population. The, IR, sorry, the IRC is one of the charities closely linked to George Soros's push to drive aliens into the European Union nations. Not only does the pro-migration policy receive funding from the globalist Billionaires Open Society Foundations, but Soros also selected the IRC to create principles that would guide the Hungarian America's 500 million US dollar investment in migrant related initiatives he announced last year. And uh, well, let's bring the photograph up on the screen. Um, it, uh, this was the second part of the text really, uh, because the organization at that time was being accused of some pretty unpleasant sex abuse and fraud charges. Uh, we'll just look at this. Um, uh, the International Rescue Committee, an open borders backing NGO funded by former Labour Foreign Secretary David Miliband, has been accused of hushing up allegations of more than 30 crimes. So has this organisation cleaned its act up? I very much doubt it. Uh, but something that really the UK public should understand is can we say it's independent? We don't think that that is possible because I've had to take a little video clip of the board, the directors and board of advisors. And if I start to play it, we will end up having to cut it short because this simply goes on and on to demonstrate a mixture of people who are either unidentifiable or they're major players on the political stage or they're involved with vast hedge funds. Larry Fink. <laughs> Indeed. Or, or they're involved with uh, some of the larger um, uh, 
government agencies principally promoting change. Uh, the list goes on and on. So I'm going to encourage people to go and have a look at the website itself. Uh, when we get down on this link, it'll switch across to the UK list of advisors and directors. So we're only having a look at things on a world scale here. How can this organization be independent? Well, of course it can't. Uh, what is it? It's a, it's a, a cabal of quasi-governments, government departments with very powerful uh, billion dollar international funders. Yes. Uh, this is being let loose on Ukraine. And so we'll put this up on screen with a slight smile on our face because this has been circulating on social media. It says that Zelensky is a cousin of George Soros, according to a Pentagon official. Um, well, let's uh, bring that up. We have to say, is this true? Before we debate whether it's true or not, I have to say there is a remarkable uh, resemblance between the two. What have you got to say, Mike? Uh, well, I mean, the fact checkers were straight out to, uh, to make sure that we all know that it isn't true. Uh, so here's Reuters fact check. The Pentagon did not say that uh, Zelensky uh, and George Soros is George Soros' cousin. So uh, they are quoting Pentagon officials' uh, denials. Uh, and then uh, Polyfact also straight out to tell us that it isn't true. So uh, Facebook posts, uh, Vladimir Zelensky is uh, cousin of George Soros, Pentagon official says. No, Zelensky and Soros are not cousins. So there you go. Well, I'm going to say, Mike, for a right-thinking person, politically, they're worse than cousins because it's quite clear that they're in bed together. And uh, I think we are going to see some truly horrible things emerging under the claim that this is humanitarian aid going in, particularly when these organizations are interested in the migration of people. And as you dig deep, deeper, they're extremely interested in the migration of children. Um, well, Claire Daly, of course, when she was talking about sanctions, also talking about the fact that if we keep arming uh, Ukraine, uh, this is not going to end anytime soon. So let's bring this up on screen uh, because uh, there's James Heapy, of course, the Armed Forces Minister, uh, and he's very keen to keep arming Ukraine. Uh, hardly a surprise. Um, so UK defence ministers uh, hosted a Ukrainian government delegation at Salisbury Plain Training Area this week uh, to consider their equipment requirements and options for further military support as they continue their defence against Russia's unprovoked and illegal invasion, according to uh, the Ministry of Defence. Uh, so they held talks with their counterparts. During the visit, the British Army's 3rd Division and Royal Marines demonstrated a range of equipment uh, and options for further military support, including defensive missile systems and protected mobility vehicles. Brian, this was a sales meeting. This was a military-industrial complex sales meeting. Let's get the Ukrainian government over. We'll show off what we've got. We'll see if they'll take some loans, maybe, uh, so they can buy some of the stuff. We'll donate some stuff, no doubt, at the taxpayers' expense. But but this was this was a, a sales meeting. Ukraine just keeps giving for the West because, of course, they can sell the arms to uh, cause the immense damage to the infrastructure. They can then bring in the banks to make profit off the reconstruction when and if we get round to that uh, to that period. So everything about Ukraine is making money out of the death and injury and misery of the Ukrainian people. 
And I think this is one of the key things when there's been a little bit of a pushback where we've been warning about what's really been happening in Ukraine. Um, do we feel for the Ukrainian people? We absolutely do. But they need to understand that at the moment, the West is not their friend. Uh, this, this, is, this is such cynical politics. And at the end of the day, it's how to make billion dollar bucks out of weapons. Right. So here's uh, the first news uh, from Poland. And Poland signs a contract for purchase of 250 Abrams tanks from the US. So they're saying that uh, this was the Polish defense ministry minister. You can, and you can see him there signing the agreement uh, at the desk there that says Abrams uh, for Poland. And uh, well, uh, they signed this deal with the United States for the purchase of 250 M1 Abrams tanks. The tank, the task of these tanks, uh, they said, was uh, which comes as a consequence of the Polish government's strengthening of the Polish army is to deter a possible aggressor. Uh, We're all aware of what is happening beyond our eastern border. Uh, and so this deal is more than just a contract. It was the start of a deeper partnership between Poland's and America's armed forces. And we're going to rapidly get to the situation, Mike, where these uh, 250 Abrahams tanks are going to be faced with Western anti-tank missiles given over to the Ukrainians and now lost to the uh, world markets or possibly the Russians. But uh, we like to thank uh, another viewer who kindly sent in this email saying, I watched Wednesday's news today. The item concerned tanks supplied to Ukraine by the Czech Republic. I believe the private company concerned may be Excalibur Army, uh, an organization formed by ex-military senior officers in the 1990s with close government connections. There's another similar company, can't remember the name, but could find it with time. Thank you for what you're doing. Kind regards, Mark. So in, interesting that uh, viewers are researching and picking up some really good information um, out, out of the uh, UK column news packages. Um, I'm sorry that we've lost Vanessa for this uh, little bit. And if you're wondering why we've lost her, as, as Brian said, still a lot of instability in, in Syria at the moment. And in fact, I believe they have uh, four hours of electricity distributed across the day. So uh, this is the main problem. Uh, and uh, well, anyway, here's Neil Bush. He's the UK's representative of the OSCE. And uh, he was speaking uh, on Wednesday. Uh, and this is what he had to say. On this note, I would like to address the Russian delegation. The atrocities we've seen in Bucha, in Irpin, uh, and throughout Ukraine are appalling. Uh, he said, there, they will forever be a moral stain upon the Russian army. But they will also, for sorry, they will forever too be a moral stain on the Russian diplomatic service, whose denial and attempted justification of crimes by the Russian armed forces enables them. Uh, look at what's been done in your name. Look at what you are uh, unsuccessfully attempting to justify. And Brian, my question, or the first question that came to my mind was, does Neil Bush really believe the words that are coming out of his mouth? Or is he lying? Or is he simply no. trying to... to uh, stir up, uh, you know, aggression in the other side. What, what that is, that is an attack on the Russian state. Uh, it is an attack, but I, I, to answer your question, I, I think he does believe in what he's saying. This man is now so uh, divorced from the world. He simply believes the the pan of of uh, propaganda that he exists in. Uh, he believes this, and so the words coming out of his mouth are divorced with reality, but. He's so arrogant, he's not going to go for any other sources to find out what's really happening. 
And by the look at him at the end of the day, I would guess all he's concerned about is uh, the pay packet for the next new suit. So following another uh, special NATO uh, meeting, uh, Jens Stoltenberg had this to say in the subsequent press conference. Our relationship with the Russia has fundamentally changed and Russia has walked away from the NATO-Russia founding act, the agreement we made to facilitate dialogue between uh, Russia and, uh, and the NATO uh, back in the 1990s. Um, um, so this, this doesn't work in the way we've actually tried to uh, achieve or the, the partnership, the, the cooperation, the dialogue we have worked for for many years with Russia. Uh, uh, that doesn't exist anymore. And I'm going to say, Brian, that is a lie, uh, at least in intent, because Jens Stoltenberg knows very well that whatever institutions or procedures were put in place for the NATO-Russia dialogue, it's been NATO that has made sure that those institutions have broken over the last yeah, uh, 20 the, years. Yeah, the links don't work, and it's, it's been NATO and the West that's backed away from them. Uh, and it's, it's, it's increasingly interesting how NATO is... is generating more pages of content, more and more, on, almost on a daily basis now on their website, trying to uh, address claims that, that the, of promises made that NATO would not expand eastwards. And all the criticisms of NATO, they're, they're putting a lot of effort into trying to, to, to counter it. Counter it. Uh, and uh, well, I, I think they're protesting a little bit too much there. But anyway, uh, this was another one for Vanessa. Uh, this is the US mission to the OSCE and a statement of the informal OSCE group of friends on the safety of journalists. Uh, and the, one of the points they're making here is that unfortunately, journalists in Ukraine are not safe from attacks by the invading army. On the contrary, there are reports of the Russian military targeting journalists. There are reports of at least 148 cases of journalists being targeted in the first month of the Russian invasion. And uh, well, look, here's the thing. Uh, this is pretty similar kind of uh, language and rhetoric uh, as, again, we saw or we heard from Syria. Uh, and uh, part of the problem in Syria was that uh, the Western journalists in particular were um, being uh, were act active mainly in the terrorist-held areas. And in fact, in many cases where there were deaths or serious injuries or any injuries, uh, those journalists had been targeted by the terrorists themselves. Yeah. Uh, and so although this statement from the, uh, from the OSCE is suggesting uh, or saying quite clearly that, it was, that it's the Russians targeting journalists, I think there are questions to be asked here again. Well, I agree with that, Mike. I've got another question. 148 cases of journalists. So if we assume that most of the journalists have suffered a single case, which I, th I think is probably the way it's going to work out, what reports are these 148 journalists making? Where is their material? Because we're not certainly not seeing it on the, the UK media. So there's a lot of questions to be asked straight away. Who are these people? Let's hear their personal testimony of where they were, who attacked them and how they know well, who, who attacked them. Well, that's a perfect introduction to this little piece of video. Now, this is a French journalist called Anne-Laure Brunel, uh, and uh, she is speaking in French. I'm not going to play very much of it. I just want you to get a feeling of understanding of the passion that, that is in her voice here, and then I'll explain uh, what it is she's talking about. Oh, leur, leur boulot en cherchant. Ah, vous avez dit Charnier dans votre film Mais je vous ai précisé qu'il n'y avait que trois morts. Eh bien, regardez 
On va aller compter les douilles C'est quoi qu'il vous faut comme preuve maintenant France Info, Libération Regarde, mais montre-leur, Yann Oui Montre-leur que je saute devant la caméra le jour où je serai morte, c'est là où vous allez commencer à m'aimer. Ah ben finalement, on ne pas que des... Right, so that uh, goes on for a couple of minutes um, and she's very much being critical of the Western media and the French media, uh, Liberation in particular, she mentioned a couple of times uh, because, the, because she was criticizing them because they wanted scoops in inverted commas. And she's saying, you know, you are not, you're not reporting from the Donbass, you're not telling people what's going on in this part of the world. Uh, and, uh, and she's very much saying she's just about had enough of being a journalist and saying it's about time some of these uh, journalists got out from behind their desks and actually went to see what was actually going on on the ground. So um, there are journalistic voices out there that are deeply uh, upset yeah. and, uh, and critical of what mainstream journalism is doing. Yeah, and we just say, if you haven't seen the BBC website recently, do go and have a look. Consider that that is an organization with a budget of close to six billion pounds a year and look at the quality and the quantity of the information on the BBC website, which is factually how much of it is factually sourced from on the ground in Ukraine by independent journalists. Remembering, of course, that the BBC's political charity, BBC Media Action, has been training the reporters. Uh, which are now producing such, uh, uh, what's the word, such unique um, anti-Russian line in their reports on Ukraine. Mm. So, uh, yeah, we need some proper journalism. Well, perhaps as we move towards the end of the news, we can move on to happier subjects. It might not appear so at first, but stay with us. Uh, I was interested to be reading this little article, which is uh, from a Bangladeshi source, and the headline was the latest COVID misinformation star says he invented the vaccines. And if we have a look at the text, this is about Dr. Malone. It said he spent decades working in academic centers and with startups seeking to bring new medical treatments to the market to combat the Zika and Ebola outbreaks. But in recent months, as the coronavirus pandemic has persisted, He's taken up an entirely different role, spreading, quote, misinformation about the virus and vaccines on conservative programs. Now, I was pretty stunned as I got into this article, and I initially thought it had come from a Bangladesh source, but it is on screen, but it's very small. Let's help you. Um, that uh, this had come from the New York Times. And let's uh, carry on through to see what the New York Times had to say. In spreading these exaggerations and unfounded claims, Malone joins medical professionals and scientists like Dr. Joseph Bacola and Judy Mikovits, whose profiles have grown during the pandemic as they spread misinformation about mask wearing and convoluted conspiracy theories about virus experts like Dr. Anthony Fauci. Well, masterful work by the New York Times. They went on. Uh, Dr. Angela Rasmussen, a virus expert at the Vaccine and Infectious Disease Organization at the University of Saskatchewan, said such guidance was only as reliable as the evidence behind it, and thus it should change when new evidence is obtained. Do you like that one, Mike? Mm -hmm. um, we can't really uh, decide what's safe and what's not safe. It's a moving goalpost, and if 
if we think the date is going to change, we're going to change the result. So this was a vicious attack by the New York Times. And uh, they uh, went on to say here that Robert Malone is exploiting the fact that data-driven course correction is inherent to the scientific process to peddle disinformation. It's extraordinarily dishonest and morally bankrupt. So this is all amazing stuff, but the good news is uh, this gentleman wasn't taking this. And the result is that uh, um, a letter has been written um, contesting the uh, report from the New York Times. And uh, let's have a little look at what was said. So the end of this uh, statement that uh, Malone put out is the article contains false and defamatory statements of fact of or concerning Dr. Malone, including, and uh, this is pretty meeting, the headline misrepresents that Dr. Malone is the latest COVID misinformation star and further states that, um, two, that even two years into the pandemic, new misinformation stars are being minted. So it's highlighting the uh, essentially the, the uh, libels against him. The article falsely accuses Dr. Malone of spreading unfounded claims about the vaccine and the virus. The article falsely states that in recent months, as the coronavirus pandemic has persisted, he's taken up an entirely different role, spreading misinformation about the virus and vaccines on conservative programs. Uh, number four, the article misrepresents that Dr. Malone joins medical professionals and scientists like Joseph McCullough and Judy Mikovits, whose profiles have grown during the pandemic as they spread mis misinformation about mask wearing. And that goes on to with the convoluted conspiracy theories about Dr. Anthony Fauci. And the last two, the article misrepresents that Dr. Malone has twisted legitimate policy debates to use them as a quote, cover for continuing to spread misinformation and to advance claims about the pandemic that are demonstrably incorrect, unquote. And lastly, Robert Malone is exploiting the fact that data-driven course correction is inherent to the scientific process to peddle disinformation is extraordinarily dishonest and morally bankrupt. So I think we have to say that it is really great to see that uh, an individual is fighting back with some vehemence they're professionally qualified. They've been speaking out in a very measured way, and yet they come under this vicious attack, the New York Times. But clearly we can see that they're not taking it lying down. So that was the pre-action letter? That was the pre-action letter, as yes. I understand it, Mike, yes. And uh, then let's back it up with this one. We move over to Canada, and uh, we've got a lawyer who's speaking out and making quite some waves. The headline from Farmers Forum, is truckers were right, freedom convoy protest was legal, judge says, and Ottawa is now being sued. Uh, so let's bring constitutional lawyer Keith Wilson on screen. Wilson said he would not be able to live with himself if he hadn't helped the freedom convoy when he got the call for help from the Justice Centre for Constitutional Freedoms on February the 1st. I've been so concerned about the direction of our country, he said, uh, I've been so fundamentally concerned about the trampling of civil liberties and the loss of rights and the overreacting to COVID. I've been so concerned about the future for my children, deeply, deeply concerned and was inspired by what the truckers were doing. So this man clearly not mincing his words 
and uh, he is talking like a person who is concerned about what he's seeing happen around him. Uh, the article went on. Wilson also clarified that the Freedom Convoy protest was not illegal at any point, even though Prime Minister Trudeau called it illegal and big media went along with it. In fact, an Ontario Supreme Court judge sided with the convoy when an injunction against honking horns was declared. The court also stated that provided the terms of this order are complied with, the defendants, excuse me, and other persons remain at liberty to engage in a peaceful, lawful and safe protest. And I think that really says it all, but uh, it's clear from our news today uh, that uh, it's up to each and every one of us uh, to stand up for what is true and what is factually correct. Yes. So uh, great shame that we've lost Vanessa. Um, we'll say that uh, the technical issues are beyond um, uh, our wherewithal to correct them. So please, a uh, little bit of patience over that. Uh, but good to see Vanessa back with us. Well, indeed, there's not much we can do about uh, electricity in, in Syria from here. If that was the cause, of course. Uh, well, I, I think yeah. it was, yeah, yeah. So, okay, we'll have to leave it there for today. That's it, and uh, no extra time. Uh, it is a Friday. Thank you all very much for joining us, and we hope that you'll reju rejoin UK Column News um, coming Monday at one o'clock. Thanks for joining us today. Bye-bye.